This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new nonfiction books to read, but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there is an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eucara. We're recording on Thursday, August 27th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I'm making it through. Yesterday was the (laughs) 100th technical anniversary of uh, (laughs) uh, women's suffrage in America. And again, we're focusing on uh, white women's suffrage there, not the in legal terms, uh, the actual suffrage of most other groups of women. But um, I think it's funny that it's the technical anniversary because, right, the 18th was like they uh, did the vote and they like ratified it. And so people are like, woo, 100th on the 18th. And then the 26th, we have it happening again. It's because they they basically had to have it like notarized. Like that's the day it became like (laughs) legal, like officially. So yeah, I just think I think it's funny. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. Um, it's been very hot in Minnesota this week, but it's supposed to cool off this weekend, which I think is going to make it feel like fall. And normally, like, I'm excited about the transition of fall, but I feel especially excited this year just because, like, it's something different, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just something's going to be different. And that'll be nice because it's been the same for so long. I kind of feel like my wardrobe has alternated between like five shirts and so i'm excited Mm -hmm. to bring in like some sweaters yeah it'll be exciting to be able to wear sweaters so you know that's exciting um i have one piece of follow-up from last week so uh last week we talked about voting and one of the books i talked about was um a winifred gallagher book called how the post office created america which is a history of the u.s postal service and at the time we said boy it Winifred Gallagher, she ought to be getting interviewed a lot because the history of the post office is a big deal right now, given everything that's happening. Uh, And it turns out she has been. Uh, And so uh, there's an interview from The New Yorker where she's interviewed just kind of talking about her book and the history of the post office. Uh, And if you're not fully on board with reading a history of the post office, this interview is really great um, because it talks about how it was kind of founded and created and what the idea was. It talks about the politicization of the post office, which has happened for a really long time, like starting as early as Andrew Jackson. Uh, which I suppose nobody is surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson Byrne. 
<laughs> Jackson Byrne. Um, there's also talks about um, politics in the post office in the Nixon era. Um, she talks a little bit about the current um, issues with the post office, kind of Donald Trump's uh, decisions to try and seed distrust and uh, problems with the post office and all that. It's really a fascinating interview. So I will link that in the show notes, but that's Winifred Gallagher and the post office in New Yorker. Also, we totally called that. I mean, I know you kind of said it, but like that she was going to get interviewed. Mm -hmm. I know we did. So smart. Uh, Okay. So with that, our first sponsor, Kim, can I tell you about a company that you may have heard of before? (laughs) Because you've definitely talked about them. It is Libro.fm. Uh, Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local independent bookstore. So like sit back, think about your favorite local indie, be like, oh, wow, a finally a service that provides audiobooks from a local store. Okay, so it is the same price as Audible for a monthly membership. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and uh, books like, this is fiction, but Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, which I just read and it was fantastic. Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which my fiance read and also thought was fantastic. Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby, The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. Listeners of For Real can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Yes, that's right. So go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm, and use the code BR3 to get two months of audiobooks for the price of one. Excellent. And yes, I have talked about this before because this is where I get all of my audiobooks now. I switch from Audible, uh, which is owned by Amazon, to this, and now I get to support uh, Subtext Books in St. Paul, which is one of my favorite Minnesota local bookstores. So Aww. switch if you can. It's awesome. All right, so um, we have one piece of nonfiction news, which is actually an article Alice found, but I read it, so I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Alice burned there, too. (laughs) Sometimes I send Kim articles that I haven't read, but I'm like, this looks good, and uh, she actually actually read it. Clearly, I'm a little sassy today. All right, so this is an article from Esquire by Emma Copley-Eisenberg, who is the author of The Third Rainbow Girl, which is a true crime book that came out uh, earlier this year, I think. And the article is about fact-checking. So it's called Fact-Checking is the Core of Nonfiction Writing. Why do so many publishers refuse to do it? And so she talks about um, her own personal experience with fact-checking in her book and how important it was for her to really have the book clearly fact-checked because part of what the book is about is kind of examining stories and verifiable facts and shifting questions and that kind of thing. So she talks about her experience and then kind of goes into a bigger exploration of how and why nonfiction books are not not fact-checked. So she talks to other authors who have paid for fact-checking themselves. She talks to publishers who, uh, or uses examples for publishers, some who provide uh, funding for fact-checking and many who don't. Um, She talks about just a lot of stuff around the idea of fact-checking. She interviews her own fact-checker for the book, which I thought was really interesting, and just kind of looks at the state of that and how there is a little bit of a trend to see more publishers supporting and paying for good fact checking for their nonfiction books after there's been sort of a string of controversial mistakes. But part of her argument is part of the reason it doesn't hasn't become more widespread is that um, the way publishing works, the author is sort of liable for the book more than the publisher is. And so unless authors are willing to help pay for that fact checking, it often doesn't get done, but that there might be some 
changes to that going forward. So uh, if you're interested in nonfiction and fact-checking, which uh, is one of my favorite like weird things to talk about, uh, read this article. It's really, really interesting. Um, and I think she does a nice job of incorporating her personal experiences into all of that. Yeah. And that's that's in Esquire, but we'll also link it in the show notes for this week. Yeah, for sure. All right. So with that, we are going to shift into our, uh, we're actually doing one giant segment this week. We're going to talk about uh, fall nonfiction. So we're going to do a fall nonfiction preview, um, books that are coming out within the next, through the end of the year. I think we've got one into December um, that we are excited about or looking forward to. So we've kind of split it into two parts. The first part is going to be nonfiction that's kind of big and buzzy. So by authors you may recognize or books that have gotten a lot of PR. And then our second segment later will be some of more under the radar titles that we're excited about that might be a little idiosyncratic. So uh, Alice, kick us off with a nonfiction for this fall. Uh, I'm super excited about this segment because there are so many books coming out this fall. We were talking about uh, how so many books got pushed from, you know, March, April, May, and have now all been kind of shunted into the fall. So a Mm -hmm. lot of great stuff. My first pick is Shit Actually, the definitive 100% objective guide to modern cinema by Lindy West. Yes, that Lindy West. Um, So for those of you who haven't been following Lindy West's career since the early 2010s, not to be a hipster about it, but <laughs> she originally did um, film reviews for Seattle's uh, paper, The Stranger. So she wrote like, and then after that, she went to Jezebel and did reviews for them. But uh, along with, of course, all of her other writing that then got parlayed into things like Shrill. But her film reviews are so funny. And just like, I think the way that it feels like she got all of the like, emotion and like, like honesty and like stuff off of her chest about, you know, the things that were really important that she wanted to talk about. And now she's just like, I'm gonna like make a bunch of fart jokes, and it's gonna be hilarious. (laughs) And it's just, it's such a wonderful read for like 2020, I would say I'm like halfway through it. And it's basically she talks about a lot of I'm in my 30s. She's I think in her late 30s. So like a lot of movies from like the mid 90s. So she talks about like Forrest Gump and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Bad Boys 2 and Face Off, which I had a lot, not a lot of the movies, but a fair number of them I haven't seen. Like I still haven't seen Face Off. And her, (laughs) her like she basically runs you through the movie. She's like, here's what happens. And then is so funny with every single one. Like, it doesn't really matter if you've seen it. Like, it helps, you know, in some cases, I'm sure. But like, oh, gosh, it's great. I'm really looking forward to finishing it. I'm trying, I'm kind of trying to, like, meet it out, you know, just because I'm like, it's so good. And I don't want to just run through it and then not have any more of it to read. So uh, again, that is Shit Actually, the definitive 100% objective guide to modern cinema by Lindy West. Oh, and the title is from her review of Love Actually, in case that wasn't, because <laughs> she is not a fan. <laughs> I actually did not put that together until you said it, so thank you for that. Um, I was just reading some of the notes in the summary, and one of the questions that I'd asked is, why did anyone bother making any more movies after The Fugitive achieved perfection? Uh, and that made me laugh out loud. She's a huge fan of The Fugitive, and I don't get it, but it's also how uh, I feel about, like, Sleepless in Seattle and Jurassic Park. So in some ways, I, I do, like, everyone has, you know, like, a movie like that. I just thought it was funny that Lindy West's is The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Awesome pick. I'm so excited about that one. 
All right. Uh, so my first pick is uh, Just Us, an American Conversation by Claudia Rankine, uh, which is coming out September 8th from Grey Wolf Press. Um, and Claudia Rankine is the author of a book called Citizen, which I think is probably, she's a poet. Um, and I think Citizen is maybe her most well-known book at this point. It came out um, a few years ago and really was kind of right at maybe the beginning of a lot of the conversations that the, a lot of the contemporary conversations we're having about police violence against black bodies. And so uh, Citizen is this really beautiful kind of poetry, prose, art, mixed media little book. Um, and it's it's just beautiful. And so uh, this book, Just Us, is looking at how white supremacy is becoming increasingly vocalized with no clear answers. So asking how can we approach one another in this environment? And so she is trying to kind of open discussions and pathways through this moment in American history. So it is uh, an invitation to discover what it takes to stay in the room together, breaking silence around uh, whiteness and race and some of those things. Um, It's kind of a book that's going to pose questions and make us uncomfortable and think, which is, I think, an important space to be in right now. Uh, And so it's got some essays, poems, images. Um, She brings in a lot of different voices and um, kind of brings all of those things together. And I just think that given how much I liked Citizen and how um, kind of powerful that book was at that particular moment, I feel like it's a, a real gift that we're getting another book from her at a moment when things maybe have turned a corner, if that makes any sense. So um, I'm really looking forward to this one, and I love everything from Grey Wolf Press. So that is Just Us, An American Conversation by Claudia Rankine. Oh, that's awesome. I read uh, I read Citizen after reading Well-Read Black Girl, which, you know, she, like, the creator of Well-Read Black Girl interviewed a bunch of famous authors about books that kind of, well, mm. I'm, I'm not going to be able to sum it up well, but basically like very important books with either by black women or black authors or with like, you know, black, like when they saw themselves in fiction or nonfiction. And mm. someone talked so beautifully about Citizen that I was like, I have to read it right now. <laughs> and nice. so I picked it up. But yeah, so that's amazing that she has another one coming out right now. Uh, super timely. So uh, changing text, I would say a fair amount uh, from that is Ali Brosh's next book, which is Solutions and Other Problems. Uh, it's out September 22nd from Gallery Books. The last time Ali Brosh had a book out was seven years ago, which uh, I just can't even. I was like, oh, my gosh, really? And then I remembered it was like three apartments ago when I had the book <laughs> on my shelves newly. Um, but yeah, so Solutions and Other Problems is a massive book, but it is, of course, all in a cartoon form as is Ali Brush's medium. It's, I would say it's funny. It's a very serious at the same time. And uh, I would go into it knowing, this is another one where I've read about half to two thirds of it. She touches on the fact that her sister died by suicide. And this is kind of, I think it happened right after her first book came out. Um, I could be wrong about that timeline, but based on the way she talked about it, and she kind of says in the book, like, I could talk about this, but I'm not really going to. And so she kind of is talking around it for a lot. So it's not it's not gone into in depth, at least as of, um, again, the like half to two thirds point. But it uh, it deals with, um, you know, grief and loneliness and what she sees kind of as the uh, meaninglessness of life, but then finding your own sort of purpose and way through it in the midst of all of that. So, and she, as always, has essays about, you know, like her various animals that she's dealt with in life, which are super funny. It's really like, I would say, kind of like a roller coaster, which based on the the things that she's 
published sort of just online since the publication of her first book, I think it's going to feel familiar to people who are familiar with those essays, like her thing on, um, I think she her essay on depression, she did part one and part two. So if you go to hyperbole and a half, you know, you'll see those. So I, I would, again, I just, I wanted people to go in knowing it's not just going to be like, haha, joke time, but it still is very funny and very thought provoking, I would say. So again, that is Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh. I was so excited when I saw the announcement for this book because I loved Hyperbole and a Half so much. And then it felt like every year-ish I would be like, I wonder if Ali Brosh has another book out. And I kept like waiting and waiting and waiting. And then this one got announced and I was so jazzed. And so much content. There's so much content yeah. in it. That's it's Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Very exciting. All right. So uh, my next picks are sort of a pair. One book that's coming out in, later in September and one book that actually has already come out, but are on similar related topics. Uh, so the book that's coming out in September is Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. And then the book that came out in August that is related is OK Boomer, Let's Talk, How My Generation Got Left Behind by Jill Filipovic. So Can't Even by Anne Helen Peterson is a book based on a BuzzFeed article that came out a few years ago, basically about how millennials are the burnout generation, how millennials are just more burned out than basically anyone else on what burnout culture actually is. So she... Um, is arguing that burnout is a def definitional condition for the millennial generation, which is born out of distrust in institutions, unrealistic expectations at work, and an uptick in anxiety and hopelessness exacerbated by the constant pressure to perform our lives online, which is just like, yes. So the book goes farther than the article to try and look at how burnout has become such a big deal for millennials, how different kind of lenses to look at burnout and how it affects us in our work and in our family life and in our socializing, and then um, tries to offer some tips for what to do and how to kind of uh, deal with this. So um, I was fascinated. Uh, that BuzzFeed article was really, really great, and I'm excited to kind of see it in a book form. And so then related, OK Boomer, Let's Talk by Jill Filipovic is kind of taking on the, you know, the the meme or whatever, OK Boomer, and trying to sort of actually go there. And so she looks at millennial generation, looking at gig workers and all that kind of stuff, um, trying to explain how millennials like got to the place that they are from baby boomer. So it's, this is more of an economic book. So baby boomers are extremely prosperous and millennials are struggling. And so she's trying to kind of explain the economics of that and how all of that happened. So looking at how millennials are educated, but also broke, how they have very little kind of of the percentage of American wealth, how student loan debt affects millennial economic prospects how home prices have affected millennials, um, how healthcare costs have affected that. And so um, really just trying to explore the economics of why millennials are in a situation where they may do economically worse than their parents did. It's very likely, in fact. So um, I think it's coming at sort of millennial life in a, a different way, although maybe depending on your viewpoint, equally as depressingly. So those are Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson, and OK Boomer, Let's Talk, How My Generation Got Left Behind by Jill Filipovic. Oh my gosh. I am at the least going to read OK Boomer. Because yeah, it's very clear how our parents, speaking as a millennial, with older parents, how they just had such a different life path from mm -hmm. the one that like, I even like me and my siblings have had. 
Dang. Those are that's a good pairing, Cam. Good job. We should do more like book pairing stuff in the future. We should. We should. My next one, I have not read at all. I don't have a galley of it. Uh, I feel like it was just announced and then it's coming out pretty soon. Maybe that's a misperception. But it is I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. Uh, It's on November 17th from Grand Central Publishing. Rachel Bloom, of course, created My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And before that, hilarious songs on the internet, especially one about Ray Bradbury, which is so catchy and not safe (laughs) for work. Anyway, so this book, it's, you know, it's it's another, like, collection of sort of comedic memoir-y essays, but because Rachel Bloom is such a funny writer, I'm like, okay, this is maybe going to be, like, really good. And she does, uh, so it's, like, essays, it's poems. It, the description says amusement park maps, which I am also... <laughs> very interested in um so it's basically looking at when it the title right i want to be where the normal people are is her looking at how why she thinks that she is like different quote unquote and realizing that a lot of people feel that way and that in a way like we're all in it together feeling different from everyone else uh so i'm i'm super excited she's gonna talk about how much she loves disney her ocd and depression and then like women friendships which again like are portrayed so well in crazy ex-girlfriends so i just i trust rachel bloom a lot and yeah i'm just really excited so again that's i want to be where the normal people are by rachel bloom yeah i did not care about this one at all until you put it on the list so that's fascinating uh, i bet it'd be good on audiobook i was thinking about that i was like this seems like because she maybe she'll sing you don't know yeah oh that'd be so good excellent pick all right so my next pick is mediocre the dangerous legacy of white male america by Igioma oluo and it comes out december 1st from seal press uh and so she is the author of so you want to talk about race which is one of the books that i think has shown up on a bunch of anti-racist reading lists in the last several months um and so this book is a new one which i am fascinated by in part because like this idea of the mediocre white male is i don't know i just find it really fascinating and it's been an interesting conversation for me with a lot of my friends and stuff and so um this book explores that whole phenomenon so uh asking questions like what happens to a country that tells generation after generation of white men that they deserve power and what happens when success is defined by status over women and people of color instead of by actual accomplishments so she goes through kind of the 150 years from the post-reconstruction South and cowboys to present-day controversies around the NFL and backlash against women in politics to just look at the consequences of white male supremacy on women and people of color and on white men themselves. So the costs of the idea of like mediocre white men not needing to achieve much. And I'm just, I think that this is a really useful and interesting book for this particular moment in time. And I am very excited to to pick it up and I don't really know much about it because it's not out until December so but it is on my list and I'll probably do a pre-order because I'm fascinated so that is mediocre the dangerous legacy of white male America that's another one where I did not know she had a second book coming out mm-hmm. so that is awesome yeah gosh and December December feels far away but it's like three months away crazy I know. It's weird. That was my main point. Um, I wanted to end – so we have, we have like, one main section, but it's also, like, as Kim said, we kind of split it into two as in, like, buzz books and then, like, slightly under the radar new books. Um, so my last sort of quick mention for, for buzz books is Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man by Emmanuel Acho. It's out November 10th. 
And it is a primer on race and racism from Emmanuel Ocho uh, hosts a video series called the same title, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. So in the book, he explains sort of the main idea behind concepts like white privilege, cultural appropriation, and, you know, reverse racism, which is not a thing, which he explains. So yeah, that's coming out again November, so like two quick months, and that is Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Excellent. Very good picks. All right. So um, our second sponsor for this week's episode is Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. So enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and epic, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our group read hosted online, available to all epic members. Each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge, and then we cap the read-along off with a live chat. Insiders also get access to the new release index, which is amazing, which will let you keep track of upcoming releases you're most excited about, and you'll also get exclusive podcasts, bookish merch, and more. So you can head to insiders.bookriot.com to start a free two-week trial today. All right, so uh, now we're going to shift gears, I don't know, like, not even really shift gears, just uh, shift our focus a bit to under the radar uh, nonfiction titles for the fall, uh, which is really fun because these are pretty idiosyncratic, I think, to our personal interests, which was the yep. whole point of it. So my first pick is The Secret Life of Groceries, The Dark Miracle of the American Supermarket by Benjamin Lore. And so this is a book all about groceries and supermarkets, So, which feels particularly apt because we spent so much time this year talking about essential workers and how important grocery stores are to us. Uh, but I actually like have no real idea of how they work or how the grocery industry itself even works. So in this book, he pulls back the curtain on the secretive grocery industry, which I'm very fascinated about why they're secret. Uh, and so he does a, an investigation asking what it takes to run a supermarket, how does food get to our shelves, and who suffers for our increasing demands for convenience and efficiency. So uh, in the book, he talks about the secret of Trader Joe's success from Trader Joe himself. He goes driving with truckers uh, to kind of see what their jobs are about. She looks at industrial farms to see what it takes to make a product, follows entrepreneurs, and does all sorts of different stuff. So the book uses five years of research and hundreds of interviews across all levels of like the grocery industry supply chain thing to try and understand it. Uh, so I think this just sounds so interesting. I love books that are about how things work. So this kind of slots right into that particular niche interest of mine. So that is The Secret Life of Groceries, The Dark Miracle of the American Supermarket by Benjamin Lore. Oh, that sounds so good. Shoot. Yeah, especially like like you were saying back in March and April being like, why isn't this stocked yet? How did they run out of this? Like, mm -hmm. when is it going to be back? And just suddenly, yeah, I feel like I had a lot more questions about grocery stores than I'd ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there's some things that it's honestly still hard to get a hold of, like bell peppers sometimes. I don't understand why. But anyway, always the red one. People always want to go for the red one. <laughs> so my pick, which, okay, so I feel like I've talked about this book a lot, but I think it's because I, over the last few months in preparation for the centennial of the 19th Amendment, I wrote a lot of lists for different places about women's right to vote and like books you should read. And I kept being like, pre-order this book. But um, I want to talk about it again. 
So it is Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All by Martha S. Jones. One of the reasons I'm so psyched about this book is that one like it didn't really exist except in a really kind of academic sense, and it, it's not very long. So having an actual book that focuses on the vote for Black women and goes up past 1920 is awesome. Because, again, it just it's, it's filling uh, a need because it wasn't around before that. So normally the story that we have, right, is Seneca Falls. It's 1848. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony. And then some women march. And then uh, we get the vote <laughs> in 1920 <laughs> with the 19th Amendment. But for most Black women, that did not mean that they got the vote. So Martha S. Jones, who's a historian, she looks at this new history of um, Black women's political lives in America and looks at how they fought for the ballot, how they wielded political power to secure um, equality and dignity for all people. Um, Because as the Cumbie River Collective is saying, right, like when Black women are free, we'll, we'll all be free. She also says from the uh, earliest days of the Republic to the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And then beyond that, she looks at the lives and work of Black women. So this is like uh, Maria Stewart, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, who are both 19th century figures, and then Fannie Lou Hamer in the 20th century and, and more. So she's saying that they are the vanguard of women's rights, which is where the title comes from. So calling on America to realize its best ideals. It's just an awesome book that I'm excited is coming out. So again, that is Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All by Martha S. Jones. Excellent. I will. I'm all for you continuing to talk about women's suffrage books. So good <laughs> Thank <pick>. you. <laughs> all right. Uh, my next pick is a memoir uh, called Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America by Maria Hinojosa. And it's coming out September 15th from Atria. Um, and so Maria Hinojosa is a journalist for NPR. She is part of their Latino USA podcast. Uh, she also does a lot of other reporting for the site. And so this is a book that is uh, kind of a reported memoir. So she God shares about the history of U.S. immigration policy and kind of how we got to the moment we are today. And then she also shares her personal story uh, growing up as a Mexican-American on the south side of Chicago. And so she does this kind of personal history alongside uh, political and uh, economic history, I think. And so um, she looks at how rhetoric around immigration has informed America's kind of opinions of outsiders, but then also enabled willful negligence and profiteering at the expense of our country's most vulnerable populations. Um, So it's really kind of a personal look at immigration and how the system got broken and her own experiences reporting and living with immigrant communities. So I just think, I mean, there's been a, a good number of books about immigrants and the immigrant experience this year. But I was excited about this one because of her work on Latino USA and her work as an NPR reporter. I just feel like that kind of will have brought her an interesting perspective and we can never have too many of these stories. So I'm looking forward to this one quite a bit. It's Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America by Maria Hinojosa. Oh, that one's good. Great job. Again, shifting gears quite a bit. (laughs) Kim is right in that like we picked... (laughs) We picked the under the radar books that were most like, this particularly appeals to me, although maybe I shouldn't offer that as a reminder right before this book. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so my next pick is Dark Archives, a librarian's investigation into the science and history of books bound in human skin by Megan Rosenblum. It's out appropriately enough, October 20th from FSG. So, okay. Megan Rosenblum is a librarian, she's a journalist, and a member of the Order of the Good Death, which is Caitlin Doty's project. Oh, and she's also a co-founder of their Death Salon, which is a community that encourages conversation, scholarship, and art about mortality and mourning. So this particular book, uh, Dark Archives, is about these books that are bound in human skin because they exist. And it's kind of like, would you recognize one if you had? I Probably not, in my case. So she is looking at the history and the uh, science behind, and I'm going to try to pronounce this, and if anyone is like a super scientist, please just at me on Twitter and tell me how to pronounce it. But it's anthropodermic bibliopagy. I'm just going with it. So that is the practice of binding books in human skin. There are dozens of books like this that have survived the test of time, uh, which I find amazing. Um, they're in libraries and museums. So in this book, uh, it looks at their origins and talks about either the people who sometimes we know who the book is made out of, um, and then who owned the book. And she also talks about how her team of scientists, curators, and librarians test rumored anthropodermic books, right? So like people say, oh, this is bound in human skin. And she's like, Eh, like, well, I'll be the judge of that, quite literally. <laughs> um, for people who like fun chapter titles, some of them are uh, This Dreadful Workshop, The Long Shadow of the Night Doctors, The Postmortem Travels of William Corder, and Ghosts in the Library, which just sounds like a Doctor Who episode. So I'm just really psyched about this. Not, of course, because I approve of books being bound in human skin, but because it's fascinating. And uh, I think that the work that people who are involved with the Order of the Good Death are doing is is really um, good in terms of changing our culture's perceptions around death. So again, that is Dark Archives, a librarian's investigation into the science and history of books bound in human skin by Megan Rosenblum. So I, I almost picked this one, too, because it sounds fascinating. And then I told my sister, I was like, I, listen to the sound of this book. And she just like looked at me and was like, you're disgusting and terrible. Uh, <laughs> So this one falls in the Venn diagram of things Kim and Alice are both into in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, like interested in reading more about is what we're going to say there. There we go. That's better than into. You are correct. All right. So my next pick is A World Beneath the Sands, The Golden Age of Egyptology by Toby Wilkinson, which is out October 20th from WW Norton. And so I don't know if it's come up on the podcast before, but as a child and teen and tween, I was super into Egyptology, like so into it. And so when I saw this book, which is like a 528 page book about the history of Egyptology, starting in like 1882 with the discovery of King Tut's tomb by Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon, uh, I was like, yes, I'm on board for this. So in the book, he looks at the race between the British, the French, the Germans, and Americans to lay claim on the treasures that they were finding in Egypt. Um, he tells stories about people who became obsessed with Egypt's ancient civilization and then who tried to help inform and change our understanding of that history. It's about people who are travelers, treasure hunters, ethnographers, archaeologists, and what they're like 100 years of kind of 
investment and exploitation of Egypt was about. So the book is a chunkster, it looks like. Um, it has a bunch of pages of color illustrations, which I'm jazzed to look at. It also has some black and white illustrations, which I think should be real fascinating. So you know, I had forgotten how much I loved Egyptology until I saw this book. And then it reminded me of like these mystery series that I used to read and just how into all of that I was. And this made me excited. So I'm looking forward to picking up this one later this year. So that is A World Beneath the Sands, The Golden Age of Egyptology by Toby Wilkinson. Oh my gosh, are you talking about Amelia Peabody? I totally am. I loved that entire series so hard. So hard. I was I was literally I read the first one. I was literally going to ask you about that series. And yes. then when you referenced it, I was like, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, it's a hundred percent the Amelia Peabody series. I read all of those. Wow. And there are like more than twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I my only other reference is probably the movie Stargate, but fantastic. No, that book looked really good. Um, I'm really glad you talked about it. And I mean, over 500 pages is is substantial, but I wonder how many of those are footnotes. That's oh, true. Me, I, we don't mean footnotes. Do I mean that? Endnotes. 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 Okay. My last pick is We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. So this is a true crime narrative of an unsolved 1969 murder at Harvard. As uh, most at least American listeners will know, 1969 is sort of famously known as being a huge year of change. Uh, I remember going to the library and looking at their like sort of 60s shelf for American history and it's like 1969, there's like so many books just titled that. But this in particular is focusing on, um, so Radcliffe is Harvard's all-female sort of sister school. And in 1969, Jane Britton, who was this 23-year-old graduate student in the anthropology department and the daughter of Radcliffe vice president, was bludgeoned to death in her apartment in Cambridge. So 40 years later, the author, Becky Cooper, was an undergrad and sort of heard about the story, right? I think if you go to a school, they usually, like, you'll hear stuff from other students. It's like, oh, did you hear about this thing? We had that – I went to University of Illinois and we – Definitely had that kind of story. But um, in this, they didn't know the name of the person who was murdered. And it was just uh, people said like, oh, this Harvard student had an affair with her professor. And then the professor murdered her in the Peabody Museum of Archaeology uh, because she said she was going to talk about the affair. And then that was not true. And there was an actual story, though, of what sort of what was what was behind all this, what was surrounding all of it. And yes, it's unsolved, but also it seems like Becky Cooper, the author, is trying to give as much context to what was going on and and likelihood of what happened uh, as possible. I, I was sent the arc of this, and I'm really excited to read it because it seems, uh, number one, like a really interesting story that should be told, uh, especially in terms of, you know, sort of like empowered male elites and, and male privilege versus especially what was going on in the 1960s uh, in schools. And talking about uh, just a story of misogyny and also just looking at violence and what was acceptable at our at institutions, I, I would say up till very recently, if not also continuing, I'm sure, in certain corners. So uh, again, that book is We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. Excellent pick. This one got on my radar several months ago now, I think, because Liberty Hardy, who is a book riot person who uh, hosts all the books and does our new books newsletter and reads more books than any other human person 
that I know of. Um, she yep. posted about this one on Instagram and raved about it. And then I was like, wow, true crime. There we go. I'm I'm in. So good pick. Glad you mentioned this one. Liberty, like, I, I think she re- she has she reads over a book a day. Yes. Which I don't understand how it's possible, but I am ex- – so she had already finished this when she posted mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, if Liberty is actually recommending this, then it's – I'm even more confident in my talking about being excited about it. Yeah. That's great. Excellent. All right. So that is a fall nonfiction preview with some buzzy titles, some weirdly idiosyncratic titles, and I'm sure that there are many. I know that there are many, many more that we missed because there are so many books coming out in the next few months. But that's good. Everybody likes new books. So uh, now we will end the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Uh, And so I picked up yesterday and started reading a book called The Smallest Lights in the Universe by Sarah Seeger, which is a memoir. Um, Sarah Seeger is an MIT astrophysicist who um, is also a widow. She lost her husband. And so this book is a memoir about sort of her growing up and her interest in space and the stars and what it took to become an astrophysicist and then her experience being a widow with two young children. And uh, the opening chapter is just really beautiful. She talks, she, she weaves these two ideas together by talking about the idea of rogue planets, which are planets that exist without a star to anchor themselves to. And you know, you can see sort of the the metaphor that she's trying to make about herself as a widow being unanchored and hard to explain in the context of the universe. And I just thought the writing was really, really beautiful. So I'm excited to pick that one up again this weekend. So that is The Smallest Lights in the Universe by Sarah Seeger. Um, and I am currently doing an audiobook, which again, I like, I keep trying with audiobooks, meaning that it's hard to do them when I'm just sitting around the home. Mm-hmm. But I think that they're really helpful when I'm like doing dishes or something, you know, to just like have them on because it's not like you can be reading a book. So I'm doing the audiobook version of Lady in Waiting, uh, My Extraordinary Life in the Shadow of the Crown by Anne Glenn Connor. I talked about this as a new release a while back, but as an audiobook, it's so worth it uh, because Anne Glenn Connor does the narration and she is like in her 90s, I think, and has one of those like just old, like 1940s British accents. And it's just, it's just awesome to hear, like to have her talking to you about her story and being a uh, lady in waiting to Princess Margaret um, until Princess Margaret died in 2002, which is such a long time. So yeah, if you want just like if you're kind of like a British royalty nerd, and you want to have that kind of voice in your ear for a while, uh, I would recommend Lady in Waiting. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And as always, our amazing audio editing is done by Jen Zink. Thanks, Jen. If you feel so inclined, please take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps people find us more easily. And then you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. So with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 4 Real Podcast.